0: Welcome to Breaking the Ice, a podcast about stammering, brought to you by People Who Stammer.
1: Hi there, this is uh, Hamish and Tom welcoming you to uh, another edition of our Breaking the Ice podcast. How, How are you doing today, Tom? Tom. Um, good, thanks. Yeah, uh,
0: good, thanks. Um, look, looking forward to um,
1: uh, another show with a, another guest. It's exciting. Yes, yeah, so this is rather a special occasion. So, we're very pleased to welcome um, a good friend of ours, uh, Hannah, who is uh, an experienced speech therapist. And she's very kindly agreed to join us uh, this, this evening. So, welcome, Hannah. Oh,
2: thank welcome. you for having me.
1: No, pleasure. Uh, so maybe to, to sort of kick things off Hannah um, would you be happy just to talk a, a little bit about your sort of background and how you got into becoming a, a speech therapist and maybe the, the kind of work that you that you do?
2: Yeah of course so I um, have been a speech therapist now for 21 years and I suppose even since I started that I um always had an interest in stammering. One, how I got into speech therapy isn't as romantic as I would like it to be, unfortunately. But I um, was always thinking I was going to be a primary teacher and then was filling out the forms for university. And I said to the person next to me, what are you going to do? And she said, oh, I'm going uh... to do speech language therapy. I said, oh, what's that? She said, there was a bit of English, a bit of psychology, a bit of helping people to talk. I thought, oh, that sounds... That sounds really fun. So I changed my UCAS form and filled it out to went home, said, oh, I think I'm going to do speech and language therapy. And everyone went, oh, okay. Oh, then,
1: wow.
0: So that's
2: how I uh,
0: so you had piggybacked a,
2: back on the back of someone else's.
0: Yeah. So you'd not thought, so it hadn't been really on your mind before that, like as a potential job or something.
2: I had not heard of a speech and language therapist until I filled out the form. thinking. Wow. Wow. the types of things fitted for someone who enjoyed people enjoyed talking and uh yeah I thought well, that sounds that sounds fun I'll, I'll give that a
1: try
0: yeah and I think the fact and, you're and, still going 21 years on suggests it was a good it was yeah. a good move
1: yeah, yeah. And, and once you started the course Hannah did you just feel that this was the right thing for you to do
2: Yeah, when you're training, you have to train with adults and children. right? And uh, so you have to go from zero to um, all the way through. So you're learning about all that you learn with children, but also about with adults, with Mm. strokes, um, to do with um, all of the elements all the way through. So it's quite an intense course, but um, there was always a pull for me. Um, I suppose my experience had been a lot more with with children. um, And so when i qualified i knew actually i wanted to work with children opposed to kind of on a in a hospital based kind of more with stroke patients and things so that's um what led me down down that route
1: right so 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 that was through your sort of training that you just felt that your skills were better directed towards children rather than adults
2: yeah so i always i grew up in a in a house with 11 other people we (laughs) All oh, right we bought um, a a farm in Devon and we right. also sold the, the houses and we bought this little um, kind of and we had little holiday cottages which had preschool farms and people came on holiday, so I was always surrounded by um, okay. children and visitors so it yeah it just felt more of a natural um, place for me to to be com- somewhere I felt quite confident and I think when you're starting a job it's right. all- Nice that you feel oh children you know these are yeah not scary so it was yeah. uh, no it was good
1: right. and and while you were training on the the course were you able to specialize in children then or as you were saying you you've got to sort of cover everything and then decide what 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 you want to do once you're, you're qualified yes
2: yeah, so you you have to reach certain um experience levels in right. in all of them so you you work across the range uh-huh. um and that's the thing is, I suppose, with any job, you might work with someone who sparks something in you. And that just is pot luck sometimes that that way, which placements you have will lead you to feel more confident or think, actually, I'm absolutely not going into that area because you didn't right. have it. But yeah, so it's, it's quite a, a range, but it was, um, yeah. I enjoyed all of it, which was really fortunate. But mm. um, the children... Um, yeah, is was,
1: probably
0: where I yeah. Yeah. do you think at some point you will try working in a different kind of part of speech ther- therapy or do you think it, you're, you're sticking with what you're doing now is that the plan well,
2: I've loved it when I worked with the adult um, clients that came through that had stammers um, but the okay. way that our work is at the moment is it is quite divided so you either are adults or children and right. um, and as I've become more um, through my career, I, I focus more on school age children. So I might work, so um, a typical day might be, the first child I see might be a three-year-old who's just started to stammer and they've come in with their family and we're looking at um, how that is. I might then be going into a school to work with a, an eight or nine-year-old who has a language disorder Um, and can't process and understand the language that they hear um, or store and learn vocabulary. And then later on in the afternoon, I might be working with a 15-year-old who has a stammer. So it's quite varied on the mix um, that you get, and each day will be different, and every client, a child, and a family that you work with will be different. So it's it's a really nice career from a um, variety point of view um, when it comes to that.
0: Yeah. So, and so, so your job isn't just relating to uh, kids with a stammer. Um, How, like, can you break it down into how many different types of um, speech and language? um, I don't know what the word is. Um, So say say if a stammer is one thing, can, like, you break it down to a few different things that the common things that you work with, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we can so from before a baby is born, um, there might be times that a family might need to see a speech and language therapist. So if they're um if they had a, a scan and they saw that their baby might have a cleft palate or things going on there. Oh, part really? of the role of the speech yeah so part of the role of the speech and language therapist is um to support feeding. So not uh, so what we'd look at is that um, so if you think about an adult that's had a a stroke and what Mm -hmm. can happen is they can end up um, having difficulty with their swallow. So rather than when they swallow a drink of water, it going um, down into the stomach. Because everything's so much slower, that water can start going into the lungs.
1: So, The role
2: of the therapist is to look at. Is that happening and do they need an adapted diet? Um, And so part of that role also then carries through to children. So you might have children that need support with their swallowing or parents that might need advice of actually when this baby's born, we might need to look at some support here to support this child's swallow, um, the kind of suck swallow breathing mechanism. So we we're involved in, you know, from very early on. Um, and then typically when children start to speak, so we, um, around kind of 18 months, parents might start to notice that there's a delay there. Um, okay. and so we might be there typically kind of two and three where those you'd expect that burst of language with children We're there looking at it in kind of, I suppose, three parts. So does the child understand what's being said to them? Are they starting to understand, um, and interact and make those connections are they then starting to vocalize and use words Um, and then what we would expect typically for a child is for that to develop from single words to little to two words to phrases to little sentences so are we seeing that typical development with the child and if they're not then maybe that's where we can get in and support the family looking at um, techniques and strategies the other thing we'd be looking at is the speech sounds so is a child when they are speaking clear or are they swapping sounds is that appropriate for their age or actually do they need some support with that um, and then as children getting to school we're looking at um, are they processing the language that they're hearing do they understand so the, the brain's a wonderful thing and, and if I gave you the example of thinking that we store our vocabulary in our brain in like a filing cabinet,
0: okay. So
2: okay. if I said to you both, think of an animal that's black Bro. and white, zebra, oh, and that has stripes,
1: right? Zebra, <laughs> yep. yeah.
2: Your brain very quickly is able to filter. So I say animals; it filters out everything else.
1: Yeah, right.
2: It comes to animals. So you've gone to your filing cabinet with animals. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. said it's black and white. You've instantly within milliseconds filtered that. Yes.
1: Yeah.
2: And then I've given you another detail you might come up with. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you said zebra, yeah. badger, skunk. You know, you've got a few in there. Yes. Um yeah. your brain does it so quickly. So we see children that sometimes don't have that filing cabinet system in place, right. or they've got it, but they can't get it. You know, that tip of the tongue yeah thought where you think oh I can't remember that person's name they might have it with everyday objects like a chair or a pen
0: right Right. okay Um, yes okay yeah and
2: then the other thing we look at is are they processing the instructions that they hear so if someone tells them something do they forget it or do they not understand so some children we might work with they don't know the difference between where and when or Mm -hmm. what and so, when a teacher is speaking to them in the classroom, they're not, you know, understanding those those language and questions. So we work all, and that can impact on children from um, all the way up to kind of to um, to adulthood. So our job is to assess that to see if there's a difficulty, and then to support on how we therapy.
1: Yeah. And we, right. Also,
2: right. we also we yeah, also work with people who have um, voice disorders so they might have problems with their voice and we work with with people that have stammers and again yeah. typically that's around two to three when you would might um see a first stammer come yeah. again all the way through yeah. up to adult um in its varying forms
0: hamish and i are part of the jersey stammering support group the support group was set up in 2015 to offer support to people on the island with a stammer. If you would like to get in touch with the Jersey Stammering Support Group, you can email us at jersey.stammering.group@gmail.com, at or find us on Facebook and leave us a message.
1: Are you using the same technique across the, the piece or... Depending on the um on the condition that the child has, are you having to use different techniques? I and mean, obviously, breathing, um, and swallowing comes into comes into the stammering. But you are also talking about that in the the context of of, of, of other situations too. Yes,
2: yeah, so it would be completely different depending on the type of um area that we're working on.
1: Yeah.
2: there there may be some overlap. Um, but it's it's even within the same same difficulty we might work with very different techniques just with that different child so it it kind of is um assessing and seeing what their profile looks like um, and how we can support that so a large part of the role is the assessment um the diagnosis of what's going on and then the therapy part of trying to support the family the child and the school or the nursery setting to support that
0: so in terms of um, if someone comes to you or if a child comes to you with a stammer, what, what would be the first thing that you would do with them? Or what what's the process of giving them the help and uh, 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 support that they might need?
2: So again, it, it depends. Every child that comes through is different. Right. So if we were talking about a three-year-old a lot of that might be monitoring. We would expect around about 5% of children to stammer as part of their development. Okay. Um, And out of that 5%, we like to monitor to make sure that that child is a confident communicator and that the family are not feeling um, or feeling in a situation where they can support and manage that best. Um, So we we need to monitor from that point of view. And we would look at around, out of those 5%, um, you would expect um, some of those children to just naturally develop as the brain um, develops. Then you would expect with therapy, around 2% of the children to recover with that. And then there will be some that will carry on Around 1% of adults stammer, a yes. general statistic. And so there'll be some that we're not necessarily, um will go on to need that extra support. But mm-hmm. What we've changed recently, and I, I think is really important, is that what we're not necessarily aiming for is fluency. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. What yeah.
2: we're aiming for, and which I think is really important to support parents with early on, is confident communicators. so we're not necessarily focusing on removing a stammer or you know what we try to do is support each child and each family as individual as we can but our key is for those that even with therapy will continue to stammer is Mm -hmm. that they grow up to be young people and adults who are confident in who they are proud of who they are and um yeah so our focus is confident communicators yeah. and and that's where i think our role is really important as speech and language therapists because the language we use and as the earlier that we can discuss that with parents um the more we're going to we're going to start to create change like an example i can use is i would um you know it's really easy to speak to parents say how are they doing and the parent says, oh, they've had a great week. They're doing really well. Yeah, it's really good. We haven't had much stammering. Right. What we're hearing on the reverse of that or what potentially subconsciously the child is hearing is, great, when I'm not stammering, it's good.
0: Yes. Yeah. And yeah.
2: I'm doing well. <laughs> yes. So the reverse yeah. of that is when I'm stammering, it's yeah. bad. Yeah. And I'm not doing, I'm, you know, it's not um, good. It's really <clears throat> important messages that we use are undoing some of that natural language that as um, speech and language therapists or as parents teaching staff we naturally use but what message are we sending about stammering to those people and to those children and in those environments so it's really important my role to come in early on and to be really focusing on that Um, the confident communicator, and to saying, do you know what, my job is not necessarily here to get rid of this stammer. That might be part of the journey. That stammer goes for that person. Um, But that if it doesn't, you are absolutely valued and your voice and what you say is unique. And it's, you know, it's brilliant. So that we send people out who aren't ashamed, they aren't embarrassed. Um
1: and and, and that's a, a big change I would suggest, certainly over my lifetime, and that yeah. sort of approach would have made a, a heck of a difference to me when I was a youngster, definitely.
0: Yeah, I'm yeah, really so I... pleased to hear you saying all all of that. That's sort of um because cause like where I am now is that my speech is not again, I'm I'm trying not to say it's no worse or no better better than it was but I'm I'm fluent the same way as I was like I'm disfluent the same way as I was as a child but the thing is now is that I don't let it stop me in the same way as I used to and I've kind of come to terms with it so I think what you're saying is completely, completely right in the sense that if you can help children to kind of to see that then that I think will save them a lot of, a lot of stress and a lot of um, kind of those really like low thoughts you have when you sort mm-hmm. of think you can't talk or you don't want to talk and that sort of thing. If you can get past that, then that's that's massive.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that we say we don't see stammering out and about as much. It's not on the television. It's not in movies. Mm-hmm. Or it is. Right. It's not. Takes the role of the victim or the, yeah.
0: the. It's it's like their main their main trait is that they've got stammer, whereas whereas yeah. why can't and it be just the person who has a stammer? But it's just yeah, it happens to have happen one stammer. Yeah. yeah, it's just one of the few
1: yeah. things about them. Yeah, yeah, or it's it's used for some comic comic effect, which is even worse. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
2: If we're providing, if we're getting people coming through into adulthood and they are feeling ashamed and embarrassed and something that they're actively trying to avoid or hide, yeah. Yeah. then people aren't having the experience of seeing people in more confident and sociable roles. Um, there is something happening at the moment called ambassadors. I don't know if you've heard of those. Uh-huh. Um, and it's um, run through um, an action to support um children a a charity and they're called standbusters and you can google them and what they've got is a lot of people in a lot of different careers speaking about and doing short videos about them the role they've got so someone is um the liverpool ladies football coach for um, the liverpool football team There's paramedics firemen um people that work in parliament all these people come forward to say this is who I am this is the career I've chosen and I have a stammer so that we for young people we can start to say do you know what people are out there doing whatever career they absolutely fancy Mm. not choosing a career not choosing a role not avoiding things because of their stammer Mm. Um, and also one of the things I speak to young people about is their responsibility to to make people also more comfortable with their stammer. And I say to them, do you know what, if you came and saw me and I um, didn't have an arm, you wouldn't say to me without me talking about it, Hannah, why, you know, what's happened to your arm? Not in that setting, but you'd be knowing it, you'd be hearing it, you'd be seeing it. Actually, if I introduced and said, oh, I lost my arm when, or this is what's happened to me, people relax. And I don't know what your experiences are, but when you start to self-advertise or start to bring it up, people who want to help but don't want to embarrass or yeah. make it a thing, they don't say anything. So you have these situations where the person who's stammering doesn't want to say anything yeah. about it because they're ashamed or they're embarrassed. Yeah. And then the person who they're speaking to, who they might be really fond of, doesn't want to bring it up, or mm-hmm. particularly in a work yeah. environment or in a school setting. No. so it's about supporting people about these options um, yeah
1: no, I, I think that's that's very true um Hannah. i mean i've i've heard it said before that you know people with a, a stammer don't have a um a sign or a stamp on their forehead saying mm-hmm. i've got a stammer um picking up your analogy with you know somebody who has a uh, a physical disability um, and I, I I think that's that's very very true because I I certainly you know in all my young younger life you know spent all of my time um, trying to avoid people realizing that I had a stammer and then when I did have a problem with my speech um, I think it was equally awkward for the other person because they just didn't know how to deal with it. Mm. That that was a big part
0: of why I didn't really talk much, be, not right. so much because of me, but, well, it was because of me, but as much because of the person I spoke to, because I didn't want them to feel like to not know what was going on. Um, and, of course, if I just said to them, oh, I've got a stammer, you know, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then that is so hard to do that's like such a big step but i think the more you can do that or the more you make that step the more you see it being done as well so that's the thing you went uh you said before about um the um stamp ambassadors is if if how can you be it if you can't see it like you need you need to see these things to go i that is possible i can be doing that um
1: yeah, no, I, I I think that's totally true because I I pretty much grew up thinking I was the only person that had a had a stammer because I didn't really know anybody else yeah, in same. You know, my own circle and you know I I didn't see anybody you know on TV or hear them on the, the radio it just wasn't wasn't spoken about so it, right. it really does make you feel like like an oddity
0: and I used to hate. If I saw on TV, if someone came on with a stammer, I used to really hate it. I used to think that, oh no, it's gonna, it's gonna embarrass me somehow because it's gonna, you know, I, I didn't quite know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. If that if that makes makes sense, because I wasn't used to seeing it. But where whereas now I I really want to see that because then it's a chance for me to talk about my stamina and to talk about the person that's got a stammer. And and then like the whole point is it just takes the heat off and you and the person you're talking to just knows what's going on. So they don't feel strange and you don't feel strange, which in turn then helps your speech. Um, But then it's that first step of telling them that I find really hard. And I
2: think therapy never used to match in the olden days when our whole focus was to try and remove the stammer. Yeah. So a child spends a lot of their time in speech therapy trying to remove the stammer, mm-hmm. and then suddenly it hasn't gone. They're then asked to go out into the world and be confident communicators, wow. having felt like they haven't been able to get rid of something that was this negative element. Yeah. Of them. So what we're hoping to do when we're working with families and children now is to be, yeah, do you know what we might be able to, you know, that is something we can look at, But look who you are as a communicator. Look how we can, you know, work together and and support that so that when they are working and and coming into young adults, um, there is these skills that we have worked together through therapy to become more resilient, more confident, and to be, um, you know, learn a lot more about what the stammer is, what might trigger it, but also to become... um, befriending it is you know maybe a a Mm. strong but but you know actually and this is part of me and moving that forward so that we're sending people out into the world going actually yeah I'm going to start my new job and I'm going to say you know so it isn't a a big thing rather than where the focus has been so much on fluency um where we're definitely as part of that so as a, a stammer is kind of multifactorial and, and the therapy around it is multifactorial. So the things we look at and depending on the age of the child, the more we go into the detail of it um, is kind of the physiological factor. So we know that stammers are genetic.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, there's a higher chance from a genetic point of view um, to have that link. So we, we also know that there's a neurological part to a stammer, which we didn't know before. So we know that when we've done brain scans and we've looked at the structure of the brain that we know there are slight differences in the in the way that um, someone who has a stammer that they might process speech signals and then slightly structural differences in the brain, which is would explain why there's a genetic link for some, not for all. But we know that it's it's a factor.
0: Um,
2: And so we can. We know that that might explain why some people can be fluent at some times, but certain things that will impact or put strain on that um, part of their communication, like emotions and anxiety and stress. That's why it might become more at those points. Um, we know that gender, I know we've spoke uh, that um, mm. we will see at onset more boys. At the, when they when a child starts the stammer, it's the same for boys and girls. But as that progresses, we would expect in young children, three to one. So it's more likely for a boy, three times more likely than a girl to have a stammer. And then into adulthood, it's six to one. Right.
0: Is it? Um, OK, I didn't so know that, it was that
2: high. <laughs> that hasn't necessarily had a clear explanation why, right. but we also know that boys are more likely to have speech and language difficulties. Um, Um, So um, we're looking, you know, they're kind of key factors. Then we look at kind of speech motor patterns. So we look at speech rate and the variability and and the stability of people's um, speech and kind of motor patterns. We also look at their speech and language skills. So the way that they process language or the way they store vocabulary can also have an impact on a stammer so we look at okay. that we make sure when a child comes through with a stammer that there isn't another difficulty that might be causing it so you know we talked about word finding where that you kind mm. of forget someone's name obviously we'll if your brain can't get that word quick enough it's going to cause hesitation and that alongside having um a stammer can you know make it um harder for that person um We also look at the psychological factors. So we know that um, a child's temperament can impact um, and there's research to suggest that uh, people that have stammers will fit more into um, the more sensitive type of um, personality than um, people that that don't. Um, So they're more generally more sensitive in nature. um, And obviously, you're then looking at so you know those people that or children when they walk into a room they're completely unaware not to the point that it's a difficulty for them but you know nothing really you know they're a lot more robust if you like and they just don't um bother them and there'll be other children that will think hang on I think that person over there is upset and you kind of can tune into other people's emotions a lot more and um they're typically not always but the type of um child that might come through and then you put on top of that having a stammer yeah how much that can be something that we're looking at from a personality um type for them and also a child's awareness and reaction to their own stammer so we know that emotions can impact on stammer um so in children it might be excitement and then it might be worry anxiety and stress so Mm -hmm. I don't know how it is for you both but they can be triggers
1: um, yeah i'd say so
2: Of children
1: yeah yeah no I, I i would very much say that if, if if i'm if i'm stressed about a situation whatever the situation is um i would say generally speaking my speech would not be as fluent as it would be if i was relaxed yeah no same yeah stress um
0: if so thing of my speech and we've talked about this so i won't talk too much about it but is that if I know what I've got to say, that's what when I find that's what I find hard. So if I need to phone up and um, I know I've got to give my name and my date of birth, say I find that quite hard. Whereas if I don't know, if, if it's like this and we have a chat, then my speech tends to be fluent. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Ice. Please like, share, and subscribe.